Pierce Van Dunk has, uh, he's been walking with us uh, in our church community for about a year and a half. And um, he currently is a chaplain at the Middlesex House of Corrections in Billerica. And uh, I remember it was right about a year ago, uh, Sean, Brendan, and myself were at the Boston University uh, Divinity School graduation. And Pierce was graduating with his Master of Divinity. And uh, we didn't know when we went that Pierce was actually going to be, I don't know if it was a message or what the official, what it was, but... But Pierce was giving this word uh, in the midst of their ceremony. And it was supposed to be a speech, but I preached. Uh, yeah, okay, there you go. That's what but I can't help it. I can't Sean Brennan and I looked at it, we were like, wow, this guy can preach. I'll tell you what, this is awesome. Like we were just like, wow, this is great. So so we're in for a treat today. And uh, the but I want to say the thing that as to the degree, which I don't know Pierce really, really deeply, but we know each other a little bit. And what I know of Pierce is that uh, he lives this thing. Uh, the stuff he's talking about, uh, he lives it. And even, you know, he, he's been here for a year and a half getting connected into our community and serving in so many ways behind the scenes. Uh, him and his, his wife, Tulia, and their family leading a life group uh, in ways that's not up on the stage, and uh, he has been living out our values. He's been living. He li- he's been living out the kingdom of God for years and years um, before ever getting the mic on the stage. And uh, so, I just want to. Many of you know him better than I even do, but commend uh, Pierce to all of us as a man who humbly lives the Word of God uh, and isn't just up here uh, to share an amazing word. Though I am really pumped for this word. Um, Remember to bring it. And uh, <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> Seriously, none. Um, but we're grateful. So I, I want to pray for Pierce um, as we, as we uh, receive him in this word. So Father, thank you for this man who uh, has walked with you for many years. And uh, you say in your word that you look to and fro throughout the earth seeking to find hearts that are fully committed to you, that you would strengthen them. And I uh, thank you for this man whose heart is fully committed to you. And uh, so I just thank you that you are here to strengthen him. But I'm also praying for us that you would uh, op- that we would all have grace to open our hearts, open our ears, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be spurred on to live a life of faith and godliness in every way as we move forward. So pray for grace and your spirit empowering him in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Awesome. Thank you, Pierce. Mic check? Yes, this is so much better. The whole time, this whole morning, I was trying not to knock this off. With, I, I knocked it off a couple times uh, off my neck. It uh, makes me think of uh, a lot of theology. Thank God this is not our theology, but a lot of people are so nervous about losing salvation. And it, I, was, I was so nervous about losing my mic. I was like, thank, thank God God doesn't feel this way about us. Thank God there's no way we can just drop off of his presence and, and, and not be with him anymore. Thank God. I have a preacher's brain. I, I see uh, illustrations and everything. You know they gave me 35 minutes? 35 whole minutes. This is dangerous. I want you to know. 
because those who know me, I'm a pretty quiet person, but you put a Bible in my hand, you give me a scripture, and I can go for 35 minutes. I can go for 45 minutes. I can go for 55 minutes. We could be here all day. We just don't know. Do you guys love me that much? Would you listen to me that long? John, do you love me that much? Would you, would you not get a hook on me and, and pull me off the stage? I'm just kidding. I won't go that long. <laughs> I want to get home and eat, too. It's Father's Day. We're going out to eat. Thank you guys so much for being willing to have me up here to listen to what I have to say. Thank you so much to the pastors and the staff here for allowing me to occupy the pulpit. Uh, thank God for putting a message on my heart, and I've been praying all week, and so many people have prayed over me that this word will be something meaningful to your lives and will help you walk with Jesus even closer. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to James chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Uh, for those who've been here with us throughout the brief period of the summer that we've already experienced, uh, we've been going through the book of James, trying to figure out how our faith works, how we can put our faith into action and why. Sean has started us off with some powerful messages, especially last week, uh, about the mirror of God's Word and how it reflects our identity in Christ and how it points out ways where we may not be lining up with that identity and shows us how to change that and become more and more like Christ every day. James 1, 26 to 27, it's a brief passage, two short verses, but it's dense with meaning. These two short verses give us a little insight on our mission as the people of God and how we can reflect God's character in this world through how we practice our religion. So James 1, 26 to 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let me ask you this morning, do you want to encounter God? That's a, somebody should have said yes. Do you want to encounter God? Somebody say amen. Do you want to step into his presence, be engulfed in his love, and leave completely changed? Is, is that something that you desire? Is that why you're here this morning? Right? That's what God intended religion to be. We've turned it into a dirty word where you can't say religion in, in so many churches, but religion is a good and godly thing. God meant it to be an outward, it meant, God meant it to be outward actions that bring people into an awareness of God so that they can serve him. Right? It's what we do and say and act. It's, it's our external expression of the spiritual reality that God is with us and God is working through us. That is what religion is and should be. This word that James uses, religion, it's got a history. The Greek word threskeia, it means the ceremonies that people would perform to honor and serve God and bring his presence into the present. It's the rites and rituals that the priests would perform in the temple. It's the sacrifices. It's the, the ceremonies, the, the chants and songs that is what James was referring to, but he was noticing what many of us have noticed in our day and age. People have taken what God intended to be good and emptied it out of its meaning. We have, in so many different contexts, we have taken the motions and the ceremonies and the songs and the sermons 
taken them and emptied them out of the spiritual power, right? So James is speaking of worthless religion, right? He refers to that worthless religion. When he's talking about threskeia, he's talking about the external expressions of our connection with God, right? We've perverted it over the centuries into empty words and repetitive rituals, right? Today, that word religion that we feel uncomfortable saying unless it's to denigrate it, it represents to us everything hypocritical and legalistic, right? But that's not what James is talking about. James is bringing to our attention what religion should be, what God intended it to be. And something that we can realize is that pure religion, acceptable religion, operates through three avenues. The tongue, the hands, and the heart. Religion operates through, I'll say it again, the tongue, the hands, and the heart. See, I didn't even have to say it, so everybody everybody say it with me. The tongue, the hands, and the heart. Let's embody this. Everybody stick out your tongue. Do it. Come on. I know, I know your mother probably taught you it was rude to stick out your tongue at people, but it's okay. The preacher said to do it, so stick out your tongue. <laughs> Wave your hands in the air. Wiggle your fingers. High five somebody. Put your hand on your chest. Find your heartbeat. I've been working out lately. I've been hitting that bench press. Tulia knows. So I don't know if I can find my heart in my chest. I might have to stick. If anybody's like me, just find your pulse. Get in contact with the rhythm of your heart. To see where it is. Feel it beating. Make sure you're still alive. If it's not beating, if you can't find it, maybe church isn't the place, or maybe we, we lay hands on you and heal you, but you should probably get some medical attention too. Pure religion operates through the tongue, the hands, and the heart. Verse 26 speaks of bridling the tongue, controlling our speech, and making it godly. Verse 27 speaks of using our hands to care for orphans and widows and the most vulnerable in our society. The second half of verse 27 speaks of keeping our hearts pure and unpolluted from the sin and suffering that plagues our world. Pure, opera- pure religion operates through the tongue, the hands, and the heart. Now something, as we, as we delve into these three body parts and what areas of our life they represent, We need to understand something about what religion is and it's meant to be. Religion reflects the character of God and accomplishes his mission and his purpose in the world. Somebody say amen. Amen. Somebody say, I want to be religious. Praise God. As we start to practice the religion that James is talking about, our words will start to sound like God's words. Our deeds will start to accomplish God's desires. And our hearts will hold the grace of God. The tongue, the hands, the heart. You guys are going to go home saying this, I guarantee it. The tongue. Stick it out one more time. My son does this, this really cute thing. Many of you saw him running around the entire sanctuary this morning. Um, he's learning all his body parts, and he'll just say, tongue. And I should teach him to stop. I probably should, but it's just so cute, I can't. So I just do it right back at him. That's where I got the idea for this whole thing. The verse says to keep a tight rein on our tongue. If we don't keep a tight rein on our tongue, then our religion is worthless. It's in vain. Other translations call it bridling the tongue. Right? The imagery here is equestrian. We're talking about horses. Right? Why do you put reins on a horse? 
to control it, make it go where you want it to go, right? And so that it doesn't go wild and damage some property or some human life. At the very least, an unbridled and wild and untamed horse is not going to take you where you want it to take you. You're not going to be able to go where you want to go. And at the worst, it can tear up your entire property because there's no control on it. Right? You put the reins on it to make it under your control. Now, the first thing I think of when I read this verse is stopping the horse from running off. I think of stopping the tongue from saying what you don't want it to say. Right? Uh, and a horse without reins on it will probably just dart off. Now, when I don't have a tight rein on my tongue, when I don't rein in my speech, some ungodly things might come out. Now, as John mentioned, I work in a prison, and I hear enough colorful language in there to paint a rainbow in the sky. <laughs> I hear enough F-bombs to level half of Boston. I've got these things in my mind, and I've got to purify myself of them every night. <laughs> but when somebody aggravates me or irritates me, my tongue wants to run off, and I want to run off at the mouth and say just whatever irritated, angry thing I want to say. When somebody lies to me, steals from me, takes advantage of me, some ungodly words reach the tip of my tongue. Raise your hand high if you can identify. Has anybody been in that place where they really need to rein in their tongue? Where they might want to cuss somebody right out and then turn around and ask for forgiveness later? Right? Think of a horse, probably eight feet long, six feet high, 600 pounds. It's a powerful animal. Right? James, to compare the tongue to that powerful animal, the tongue can do some damage, right? So we need to bridle and control, rein in what we say. Why? It's not just not to offend people. It's not just to not be a nice person, right? There, are, there is such deep meaning behind what James is saying here. With our religion, we're trying to match the character of God. We're trying to bring the presence of God into our lives and into the lives of those around us, right? So if we are tearing others down with our words, we are not reflecting the character of the God whose words bring creation, bring life, bring love, bring healing. If we are destroying somebody's character or tearing down them emotionally, we are not reflecting God's character. We're not bringing his presence into the world. When we don't control what we say, we are not practicing true religion. Somebody say amen. amen. You guys are too quiet. <laughs> Why do we restrain the tongue? To reflect God's character. When we speak contrary to what God wants us to say, we're doing the wrong thing. We're not practicing pure, faultless religion as James directs us to. Now, it's not just to stop a horse that you put reins on. What do you do to make the horse go? You Flick those reins, and it's off and running. I don't have a very good gallop, so I'm not going to display it. <laughs> you flick the reins to make the, the horse go. In our culture of keeping quiet about Christ, there are many times where we need to flick the reins on our tongues and make them go. We need to say something. Say, I've got to say something. Somebody say, I've got to say something. Oh, say something. Amen. We need to make our 
tongues go in the direction that God wants them to go. We need to speak out the word of God boldly. We need to speak out the power of Christ with courage, right? We need to say something. Say, somebody say, I've got to say something. Amen. We serve a talkative God, and we should be a talkative people. We serve a talkative God, and we should be a talkative people. God has been speaking since the very beginning of time. He's been speaking creation into existence. He's been speaking his word to his people. He's been showing his love through what he says to his beloved people. Right? And if our religion is to match God's motions in this world, then we need to say something. We need to proclaim healing over people. We need to proclaim love, proclaim hope over people. Somebody say amen. We need to proclaim that gospel. Acceptable religion before God, acceptable religion is outspoken. Amen? But outspoken religion isn't always socially acceptable. Acceptable religion is outspoken, but outspoken religion isn't always socially acceptable. We have a call here, everybody. God has called us to speak out what he wants us to speak. He's called us to pronounce God's love into our world. Do you want to be religious? Do you want to experience God? Do you want to encounter God? The words we say have power, right? The, what we preach and prophesy, it's potent, right? What we say has significance. We are called to speak and operate that pure and undefiled religion through our tongues. Amen? Amen. Amen. The hands. Raise your hand again. High five somebody. Double five somebody. Verse 27 says to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Right? We're called to care for the vulnerable. We are called to put our hands to work. Right? We're not just called to sit in church, go home, read our Bible. Those are important things. But it can't end there. We're called to do something. Somebody say, I've got to do something. Somebody say it louder. Say, I've got to do something. Mm. We're called to care for the vulnerable. Why? Because it's God's character. It's who God is, and it's who he wants his people to be. That's what real religion is, right? Allowing God to work through our hands, being the hands and feet of God, because it's who God is. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. Our brother David Pucci spoke a few months ago on Romans chapter 8 and how all of us, before God came in and saved us, were spiritual orphans. But God came to be the protector and defender of those who had no father, all of us in this room. That's who he is. That's what he does. He came, and he loves to call us his sons and his daughters. Somebody should shout amen. amen. He's come to make us orphans no longer. It's who he is, it's what he does, and it's what we're called to do, right? From the beginning of time, he chose Israel, this small and insignificant people, and became their defender and their protector in their state of distress and vulnerability. He broke their bonds when they were enslaved in Egypt. He freed them from Babylon when they were cast out there. It's what he does, it's who he is. That's the type of God that we serve, that's the type of people we should be when we practice our religion. You can't be relig religious and have idle hands. The book of Isaiah, chapter 58, shows us that 
God, for a long time, from the era of the prophets, he's used the, the state of, he's used as a barometer for how, the, how much the people truly love and serve him by seeing how they treat the vulnerable in their society. We've got Isaiah chapter 58 on the, on the screen. Verses 5 to 11 say, is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? And some background, Israel was trying to say, we've been fasting. We've been praying. We've been doing everything that we're supposed to do. How come you're not blessing us? And God turns around and says, how are you treating the least of these? How are you loving those who are in vulnerable places? How are you looking after the orphans, the widows, the hungry, the poor? And this is what God says. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? And listen here, to loose the chains of injustice. Somebody say amen. And untie the cords of the yoke. This is our calling. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? How many of us have food rotting in our fridge and hungry people living down the street? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. How many need healing in this room? Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Somebody clap your hands and shout amen. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. How many want to light up this whole entire community? Your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. I want to be guided by the Lord. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. That's religion. That's religion. God calls us to use our hands to bless those who are in need, to care for the orphans and widows. Why orphans and widows? Why does James pick out those two particular people. I don't believe that he is saying we have to just serve orphans and widows and nobody else, and that's religion. He picked out two of the most vulnerable people groups in his day and age, right? It was very, very, very hard to be without a father or to be without a husband in that time. Being a single mother is difficult now. In the first century, it was a death sentence. Being an orphan is common now. Not being, an or being, being fatherless, excuse me. Being fatherless in this day and age is common now. It's not easy, but it's not uncommon. Back then, it was hard to survive without a father. James picked these two people groups out because they were in many, many ways defenseless, vulnerable, and in distress. Right? They needed somebody to step in and lend a helping hand. And James admonished the church to be the people who gave that help, because that's what God does, comes to the most vulnerable, the most in need, and blesses them and loves them. We can expand that to include any other category of person who is in need, right? We still have the orphan and the widow among us. 
in our church, in our neighborhoods, right? These beloved children of God, they have so many gifts and strengths to offer our church and our world, but when they have need, they present a beautiful opportunity for us to encounter God. When we meet those needs, we meet Christ. I said, when we meet those needs, we meet Christ. Amen? Amen? It's not just orphans and widows, though. There's so many different types of people that we can serve and love in this world. Right? The first thing I think of when I read this verse as vulnerable people are the people in prison. I see them every day, five days a week. I have the, the incredible opportunity to hear hundreds of their stories. Right? And when I, I love doing Bible studies. I love doing worship, worship services. But when I'm really transported into the presence of God, is the one-on-one pastoral counseling sessions where I get to hear their story, bear just a little piece of their burden. Because so many of them, all they really need, they don't need anything physical or material in that moment. They need somebody to hear their heart. They need somebody to see them as a human being, as a man. I serve a facility exclusively men. They need somebody to see them as a human, see them as a man, take their fears and anxieties and questions seriously and pray with them and remind them that God is still there for them, right? This is something that all of us can do, right? When I'm, when I'm sitting there in that counseling session, I feel something that I can't even describe. When, when, when I witness an incarcerated man experience the presence of God in a new way by the words that I said, when God uses me to communicate that love and grace, I can't even describe it. I'll do my best. It's like The two of us together are reaching our hands down into this powerful spiritual current that's so much, so much infinitely bigger than the both of us. And we're channeling just a small stream of it into our world. It's something spiritual. It's something religious. It's an incredible encounter with God when we, when I get to meet that need. You can serve the prisoner among you. Shameless plug. There will be opportunities to serve in the prison this summer. So keep your ear out for those announcements. You can Google Christian pen pal programs, start a correspondence with somebody who is incarcerated. There are plenty of programs that I can connect you with where you can serve. So if that is something that you want to incorporate into your religion, that is something that's available to you. Right? Who else is vulnerable among us? Shout them out. Who else is vulnerable among us? Children. The elderly, homeless, somebody else, refugees. That, that leads me right into what I was going to say. Refugees, immigrants, somebody who is far from home. We have, we have so many among us here in Waltham. We have so many among us here in our church, people who are far from home, far from family, far from their support system. In many instances, these are vulnerable people, right? We have the opportunity to love and serve them by the command of God. It's clear in Scripture that that's something God wants us to do. How many have read much of the Old Testament where it says that we are, as God's people, we are called to care for the sojourner, to house and feed the traveler? Has anybody read these passages? Amen. Praise God. Those commands don't die with the Old Testament. That's something that we're still supposed to do as the people of God. And we have so many opportunities to welcome those from other countries into our homes, into our families, into our church, and to make them family to us because they are family. 
our Christian identity, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, our Christian identity that we share in common transcends any national boundary that might separate us. Regardless of what the political climate is, regardless of what your political opinions are, we are called as Christians to bring people from other countries into our homes and families. Amen? Is that something you can do? We have an opportunity this very day, this very week, to serve somebody from another country. Right? Me, me and Tulia, me and my wife Tulia, we got the opportunity on Thursday night. Uh, we got the news about Ben's failing health. And we got to visit them in the hospital, offer them some comfort, some peace, pray for them. Some, some others were there with us, Tim and Sarah Yoon, uh, David Pucci, uh, uh, Brian Marcioni. There were others who came before us, came after us. And they had such an incredible gathering of prayer warriors from the Ugandan churches that they serve in the Ugandan community. And it was an, an incredible time of prayer and of inviting the Holy Spirit to wash peace over the entire room. That was religion. That was a, an encounter with God. Is that something that you want? Is that something that you want? When I ask questions, I want answers. Amen. Right, that was an incredible time to practice our religion. Right, you can do the same. You have the opportunity to bless the Koala family. Show up at the memorial service tonight. Visit May this week. Show up at the funeral service next week, next Saturday. Right? We can be there for those in our faith community. We can practice true religion. It's not just the orphans. It's not just the widows. It's not just the prisoners. It's not just the immigrants. It's the homeless. It's the addicted. It is the anybody who is vulnerable and suffering. Right? There are so many opportunities to serve somebody who is vulnerable. Amen? Let's bring it into the suburbs. It's not just people who are lacking resources or who are addicted to substances, still suffering from depression. Those buried in thousands of dollars of debt. Those who are lonely. Those who are addicted to gambling. Anybody who is in a vulnerable state of need, we can serve that person. We can put our hands to work. And one last thing on the hands, if Serving somebody who is vulnerable is an opportunity to meet God. When we are too prideful to admit our need and our vulnerability, we deny somebody the opportunity to practice their religion, to encounter God. I'm preaching to myself on this one. I'm preaching to myself because I'm the all-set type. I'm the starving baker type. I'll ask you what you need and not tell you what I need. So I'm preaching to me on this one and probably many people in the room. Raise your hand if that's you, if you hate to admit your need. Amen. Thank you for your vulnerability. That was, a, that was a step. We, when, when we are too prideful or too ashamed to admit that we're struggling with addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography, when we are too ashamed to admit there's not enough food in our fridge or we really just need somebody to have some companionship with, when we don't offer that information to trusted brothers and sisters in Christ, we deny somebody the opportunity to encounter God. Don't be too prideful to be vulnerable because God's, the religion that is truly acceptable to God operates through hands that move to help and hands that are open to receive. Right? The hands. That's how we can practice our religion. 
And finally, the heart. Find your heartbeat one more time. Anybody want to match the rhythm of God's heartbeat with theirs? Is that something that when I... Yes. Somebody say yes. Somebody, somebody's listening. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 27 says to keep our heart free from pollution by the world. Right? God cleans our hearts, our minds, and our souls by the blood of Jesus so that we can, in turn, cl- help to cleanse other people from the sin and the suffering that plagues them. Right? It's as if the world is infected with an infectious disease, and God sent us in in our holy hazmat suits to clean up the mess, to give healing and love through our, the healing and love that we've received from God, but you can't help anybody if you keep opening the valves on your hazmat suit just to see what the toxins smell like. I imagine us like heavy-duty cleaning rags. Does anybody remember the ShamWow commercials? Right? You can soak up 1.5 gallons of water in three seconds and, and wring it all out into a, another bucket. I imagine us all like holy sham wows. But how are you going to clean anything if you've soaked up a bunch of dirty water? That's why God calls us to keep our hearts free from pollution. Other tr- translations say keep oneself unstained by the world. Right? If we let all of those pollutants in, we're not effective in the mission that God has called us to. We are undoing the healing work that God has done in us. He calls us to guard our hearts by remaining connected to him through prayer, through fellowship, through reading the scriptures, through service. He calls us to guard our hearts by those avenues. Amen? God cleaned us so that we can clean others. He did it because he loves us, because he wants, us to, see, he wants to see us renewed, and filled with grace and filled with hope, and he did it to bless others through us, right? So that's why we've got to keep our hearts guarded from being polluted by the world. We are ineffective in our mission if we are infected by the same sin that plagues the world, right? That's why God has surrounded us with so many brothers and sisters in Christ to help keep us accountable, to pray over us, to let us know when we're slipping. Because if we spend enough time out of God's presence and engulfed in the worldly things that we used to be living in, it's only a matter of time before sin and doubt start to seep back into our hearts. We've got to guard our hearts from that. Right? We do that through prayer, scripture, worship, and fellowship. Somebody find your heart one more time. Let's make our hearts line up with what God wants from us. Amen? Amen. I can't find Christopher to make the eye connection that we wanted to. There he is. Okay. True religion, religion that is pure and acceptable before God our Father, is this. Serving orphans and widows in their distress, keeping oneself unstained by the world, bridling our tongues. Pure religion operates through the tongue. Say it with me. The tongue. The hands, the heart. Joy is on point with the slides. When we allow our religion to operate through these avenues, we open up an encounter with God. That's what religion is. We allow God's presence to be invited into the present. Amen? Do you want God's presence in your lives? Right? How do we do it? Serving others. 
speaking out the name of Jesus Christ in hopeless situations, right? Guarding our heart from the things that are killing the world, the cancerous toxins that are destroying people's spirits, right? But too many of us, and here I'm preaching to me, too many of us are content just to come to church, sing a few songs, hear a few scriptures, give a few handshakes, and go home unchanged. That's me on so many weeks. Too many of us don't realize the incredible power we have by the Holy Spirit. Does anybody here know how powerful their God is that lives inside of them? Somebody should say amen. Right? God looked on this sick and suffering world, plagued by sin, dying without a knowledge of Jesus Christ, and he sent his holy antidote, us, the church, right? Do you realize the mission that you have? Do you realize the calling that you have? Yes, no? Amen. Do you realize how much power there is in you? Right? Do we want to let our religion operate through our tongues? Somebody say amen. Do we want to use our hands to bless the poor, to bless the orphan, to bless the widow, to give a home to the homeless? Right? Do we want to do these things? Do we want to allow our hearts to hold God's grace? Do we want to shield them from the things that will destroy them in this world? Right? Stand here. James talks about worthless religion. He speaks about going through the motions of faith, of church, of rituals and rites and ceremonies. He speaks of it to debunk it and to remove it from our communities. Now, I don't know about any of you, but worthless religion is not what I want to practice. Worthless religion, just going through the motions of faith, I don't want that to be me. Can anybody identify? Do you want to practice true, genuine religion where we can bring God's presence into this world and change it? Right, where we can see a problem in our community and do something about it. Where we can bless somebody in need. Right? A lifelong journey starts with one step. What can you do today? What can you do this week? Where do you see a need? Where do you see somebody vulnerable in distress? Will you pray with me? God, loose our tongues. God, unbind our hands help us get to work. God, protect our hearts. We want to practice religion that pleases you. In everything that we do, we want to please you, give you glory, make you happy. God, you've done so much for us. And we want our faith to get to work. God, we know and we realize the mission that you have for us and how much power there is in this world for us, how much work there is for us to do in this world and how much power we have to do that work by your Holy Spirit. I pray over every person in this room. I pray that they would be inspired today to go out, not just to hear the word, but to do it, as your word says. And God, I pray that by our church catching this, by churches all throughout our community and our nation and our world catching this, that the world will be changed for your glory, that more people will come to know you as their Savior, that more people will be fed, will be clothed, will be 
healed, Jesus. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Take a moment in silence or in song or in prayer, however you want to connect with God, and ask him, where in my week, where in my day, do you have something for me to do? Do you have somewhere for me to move? Do you have a need for me to meet? Because when you meet that need, you meet God. Amen. When you meet that need, you meet God. We have the memorial service this evening. Uh, we have uh, prayer in the park is canceled, uh, just so all the logistics are, are taken care of. But take this moment, and as you feel led, pa parents, uh, pick up your children whenever you feel ready. But take this moment. Ask him for